0: What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, my man, my mentor, good friend, Jason Phillips. Jason Phillips is a nutritional guru. He's been in the industry for a really long time, but... He's someone that I really look up to because he's super real, and all he really cares about is making change, making impact, and helping others, and it shows because his business is so successful. Jason runs a coaching business that was based off of something similar to actually what I run, an online coaching blog. Um, Turned him into an online coach who he helped a lot of people in the CrossFit space do really big things, especially in the CrossFit games, um, which was a big reason why his stuff just completely took off. He's helped a lot of professional athletes, um, and he continues to do so now he's built his business to having actually 10 plus coaches underneath him, a full media staff, admin staff, a supplement company, as well as new Nutrition Coaching Institute, which I will link in the show notes because if there's any coaches out there who are interested in furthering their nutrition coaching credentials or education or just learning how to even implement that end of things into their business, I highly recommend it. I've done them and I'm going to continue to do them as he is my mentor and someone I really look up to. Um, but... I'm really pumped to have this episode because he breaks down a lot of nutritional myths and he really just lays down a good foundation for everybody listening to learn more about nutrition from a holistic standpoint – to a performance standpoint, to an aesthetic standpoint, and just a, a fundamental education around what nutrition actually is and how to implement that, how to coach that, how to educate your clients on that. So um, as you guys can tell, super, super pumped about this. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Um, and real quick before we get on to the show, I just got to give a special shout out to my sponsor, Reebok One. If you want 40% off your first purchase and 25% off for life to all the trainers and coaches out there, check the link in the description. They will hook it up with some awesome training gear. I can't say enough about them. Um, I'm stocked up and that's literally all I wear in the gym now and I I truly do love it. You can check out that discount in the show notes or visit www.rebok1.com slash boom boom. Now, without any further ado, let's get to Jason Phillips. Jason Phillips, welcome to the show.
1: My man, thank you for having me, brother. I apologize to your listeners in advance, dude. I'm, uh, I'm fighting what's going on an eleven day flu right now, so I sound like shit. But I promise you, I'll give you some good content.
0: <laughs> I don't doubt it, man. You know what? It's been going around quite a bit, so so no worries, brother. Um, so cool, man. Let's dude, just, dude. Keep... I heard,
1: I heard somebody had it for two months.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it's absurd.
0: Yeah, it's pretty rough. I have a couple clients that were down and out, man. One actually went to the hospital because um, she didn't know what the hell was going on. So, And I'm all the way in Washington, so I mean, it's definitely making its way. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's been bad, dude. It's been bad.
0: Cool, cool. so I'm going to skip the whole typical intro with you because if anybody wants to know who Jason Phillips is, who doesn't already know, which I'm pretty sure they do because I mentioned it in our group and they were excited about this, um, just type his name up. You'll hear his story. He's done a lot of – crazy things in the industry He's had a crazy story so you can find that elsewhere today we want to get right into the content um, because i want to pick his brain he has so much information to share but i do want to backtrack just a little bit and start with the anorexic story because i think that's a yeah. very rare thing um i actually i don't even know if it's rare as much as it's just not spoken about with males and i think that a lot of people don't express eating disorders if they are male and it's always targeted towards women so i'd like to get a little brief story of where you came from in that realm and, and how it's developed over the years and how it's changed.
1: Yeah, I don't, I mean, we won't go into it because it, it's a long fucking story, but, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, my journey started as anorexic. And so it's different than, actually, like you said, it's not different than a lot of guys that get in the industry, but the fact that I am so open and talk about it is a lot different. And, you know, it's, I've told it before, but, you know, when you get in the industry and you openly talk about it, there's a lot of guys that actually open up to me that kind of talk about their journey and where they've been and how they've actually battled some things too. And, and I mean, to be honest, dude, like anybody that I think gets in the physique industry is fighting some sort of body dysmorphia anyway, right? I mean, like. 100%. Yeah, I, it's not that fun to diet it down to like super shredded and get on stage. Like, I, I think that like we're anybody that does that is like, you know, a little type A and, you know, it just, there's something going on upstairs. That's just not right. And, and it, you know, it's a positive manifestation for the most part. You know, I mean, I think that, I think the one unique thing that I tell people today and and I would never, ever, ever wish an eating disorder on my worst enemy because it is a nightmare to go through. Um, but like, I learned so much from it and I think that the reason that I'm as successful as I am today is it actually created a level of empathy uh, that I don't know as though I would have had had I not gone through the eating disorder? And so, you know, I, a lot of what I talk about, and you've been to my level one, is is really creating connection with the client, really being able to understand what they're truly going through. Because the food is not always the hard part; it's the implementation of the food that becomes very difficult. And so. With me having gone through those experiences, I, I really genuinely believe it, it made me into the coach and allowed me to build the platform that I built today.
0: 100% agree. And I think there's, I mean, you've experienced this. How many clients do you get that actually have some, some kind of not only eating disorder but just a bad relationship with food? So I can only imagine that that's helped you in so many ways to kind of bridge that gap and actually get to their level and let them know that you're actually on their level with that or understand. I think a lot,
1: I think a lot of people don't ever understand why they can't create compliance, right? Because I, I think that you and I know if we put, you know, a lineup of 10 people and we put a salad and a Big Mac in front of them, they know what the better choice is, right? But that's not really what we're trying to solve. What we're trying to solve is why are you not routinely making the better choice, right? That's the crux of nutritional coaching is why are you not implementing what you believe to be correct? Because... If it was that simple, well, I would give you your macros. You would follow it. And yeah, you probably would be reasonably.
0: Uh, yo, can you hear me? Yep. <laughs> you cut out a oh, little bit sorry about that. I don't know what the hell happened. Where did I cut out? Um, They would be reasonably. Like if somebody – if you just gave somebody okay. their macros and said, peace, like just follow this, they would be – and then it kind of cut off.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like they would be reasonably in shape. But the reality is they're not implementing those macros. And there's yeah. some reason. There's some – mental block or some personal shit that they have in their life that's not allowing them to implement and you know i don't necessarily you don't always know what that is going in as the coach um and and the reality is good coaches are the ones that can figure that out and build programs to circumvent whatever the roadblock is man and and listen here i am 14 years into it i've got my own roadblocks now I have a level of awareness that a lot of people probably don't have, so I'm able to build my lifestyle around those things. But that doesn't mean that I'm immune to them, and and I've certainly been through them. And I I genuinely believe that the state of nutrition coaching going into 2018 is going to open up outside of the umbrella of just food prescription, but it's going to start encompassing lifestyle prescription. And I think that that is where we're going to start seeing some success really happening
0: yeah no I hundred percent agree and we're gonna get into your prescript or your uh <laughs> um, predictions of the next year with all that but i one thing I always say too is like you have to understand how to fit your life or fit a diet into your lifestyle versus trying to fit your lifestyle into a diet or squeeze your life and schedule into some diet plan because if you can't adhere to a long term it's not a good plan for you period whether that is macros or intermittent yeah. fasting or whatever you want to do um. I want to jump back real quick because I have one question like I, I hear a lot of people talk about how tracking macros can just be overwhelming or it can be uh, like anal retentive or just too much and too specific and, and restrictive whereas I think if you just stick to just clean eating it's the exact same thing and you get kind of in this dogmatic approach. But I would be interested yep. in how did macros actually help you get out of anorexia because I think a lot of people assume that that's an eating disorder and going into meticulous tracking is just another eating disorder and people kind of claim that which I completely disagree with but I'm interested because it sounds like macronutrients and and dialing that in actually helped you get away from it
1: yeah it's you know it's really interesting man I think that every I love the word that you said and that everything being because I think any singular tactic within the world of nutrition is dogmatic in and of itself. And I think that anyone that is of the belief that there's one singular tactic that will work for every single person really needs to check their shit and they need to understand that every individual is different and everybody's going to need something different. You know, um, do I think macros are the be all end all? No. Do I think everybody needs an awareness of quantity? Absolutely do I think that you have to track macros forever? No. Do I think intuitive eating works? Yes, once you have an understanding of what proper quantity looks like. You know, I think that there's transitions in and out of everything. So, you know, to answer your question, man, like you know, when I was anorexic, obviously I I clearly thought food was the enemy and you know, coming out of anorexia, the story is that there was a trainer at my gym that told me I needed to be consuming 4000 calories. And so I went home one night, and this is like before the days of my fitness pal. And I bought a calorie counting book at, at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, I wrote out a 4000 calorie meal plan, and I stuck to it for like three weeks. And, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that the tracking and you know, listen, any anybody that thinks that that was too anal retentive clearly doesn't understand the fact that one meal for me when I was anorexic was two rice cakes. I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of a give and take, right? Like you're always yeah. sacrificing. and so while while a little bit of you know obsession in terms of tracking isn't the healthiest thing long term, it was far healthier than starving myself, and it was step one in the right direction. And I think that if you're working with a client, you always have to have phases in mind, you know, And so I think that, Educating a client around quantity in the initial piece of the prescription Moving them to an awareness of what that quantity looks like without tracking and then ultimately, you know A year two years three years down the road Having them eat intuitively on occasion is really educating a client and giving them the tools that they need to be successful Forever, you know, I don't want a client to have to stick with me forever. Um, But, you know, I I definitely believe that there's a transition. And and as you know from coaching individuals, giving a macro prescription, and like we just said, it doesn't catch on in 12 to 16 weeks. Unfortunately, there's lifestyle factors that don't allow people to adhere to it right away. And so you have to be willing to take a client where they are going to need to go and you know, for some people that's intuitive right off the bat with a transition in the macros for other people, that's macros right off the bat with a transition to intuitive. And, and then obviously you've got tools like keto and fasting and, you know, other quality based approaches that are, you know, that are in there that you have to know when to use the right tool for the right job.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree. And, and like, one thing I would like to get your opinion on as well or just hear you kind of talk about with your experiences, something I run into a lot and I think we talked about it in Vegas a little bit is like under eating. Like I see a ton of people yeah. who come to me who are like I want to lose weight. I'm not seeing any progress. We start tracking and they're just dramatically under eating um, and, sh- and people are shocked when I tell them that you know, like … or more of the people that come to me are actually under-consuming food and when I increase their intake, they feel better, they perform better and then they usually end up actually changing their body composition as a result of that. Um, Is that something you see quite often as well and like what are your thoughts on like why so many people are under-eating?
1: Well, dude, I, I mean just to kind of throw some numbers at you, I mean our company, like we see thousands of people every year. And I would I would literally argue that upwards of 75 to 80% end up getting a prescription from us that is higher than their current calorie intake. So we're talking 750, 800 people plus every year are getting prescriptions of more food intake than they're currently consuming. So absolutely, one million percent dude. That's what I'm seeing in the space. So. I, you know, I don't really know what the cause of it is. I mean, if you look back over like the last decade, I like to say that nutrition kind of goes generationally. And so what we're experiencing today is largely a result of what the previous generation kind of laid the foundation for. And so if we look at the previous generation, we're looking at things like paleo, we're looking at things like zone, uh, you know, we're looking at some of the intermittent fasting, some of the keto Right. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of food quality emphasis without any kind of uh, attention being paid to quantity. And so then I say, well, there's two types of people that do that. And you've got, you know, your zealots that are like, well, I'm eating paleo and I'm having meat and nuts and vegetables and they're only getting 500 calories a day, um, which is paleo. (laughs) Um, And then and then you've got, you know, the idiot that has the whole jar of almond butter. But almond butter is paleo, bro. And they're eating 5,000 calories a day and they're still fat. They don't know why. Yeah, And, you know, so uh, unfortunately, there's a lot more people on the former. You know, what I believe the epidemic to be today is that, yes, people are eating less and less food, which is a problem in and of itself, just relative to all of the metabolic adaptation research that's out there. But what people are not talking about, and this is the big piece, is that, We're seeing an alarming number of people under eating at the same time as training intensity or training modality intensities are increasing, right? And so when you look at that for like at its effect on the body, we're seeing less and less intake, which means less and less recovery. And then we're seeing more and more intensity, which means an abundance of stress. Now apply that to Western culture that is already overstressed. That's already not sleeping enough, not eating enough, not uh, you know too much shit going on at home and at work, and over caffeinating and whatever else, and that's where we're actually starting to see a lot of the the quote unquote medical problems um, that are arising from the lack of proper nutrition and training.
0: Right, and and actually that goes right into one of my questions that I was going to ask you too is is talking about HPA axis dysfunction or, or adrenal fatigue as it was once called, like. Is that more common than people seem to believe or seem to think it is? And because under eating is obviously one of the things that can cause that, especially <laughs> with the rise of intensity, whether that's CrossFit or boot camp style gyms or even Soul Cycle now and all these different modalities that are really just pushing the limit as hard as they can. Um, how often do you see uh, adrenal fatigue?
1: Dude. I think that it's way more prevalent than anyone wants to acknowledge. I think that the, the real debate is in the medical community. They don't like to acknowledge adrenal fatigue, right? Which this, this still blows my mind. They acknowledge what's called adrenal insufficiency. Um, but they don't acknowledge adrenal fatigue. And if you actually were to go, anybody listening, go Google it, Wikipedia, whatever, you'll see the symptoms are virtually the exact same. Yeah. Um, either way like to to kind of just create a level playing field it comes down to what's like a dhea to cortisol ratio and so we can you know whether you want to call that like fucking i don't know like sitting at grandma's house or whether you want to call that adrenal fatigue it really doesn't matter what the nomenclature is right it's there are very there are verified like numbers dhea and cortisol and we can look at those in lab work and and so It's, uh, you know, when we're starting to see those numbers tested, we're seeing that virtually, I don't know, I think the stat is something like upwards of 85% of people are living in what we would classify as stage two adrenal fatigue or stage two HPA axis dysfunction. Uh, And it's just kind of how we've learned to function, which is scary, right? Because what that tells me is most people don't even know what it feels like to feel good anymore yeah we've all created this hyper adaptation to mildly feeling like shit and that's a problem
0: i 100% so what what is your like biggest tip on actually fixing that like what's the first step you go towards because i know for me personally when i have somebody in that situation man like the hardest thing to do at first is Get them to tone down the intensity or the amount of times they're training because they're addicted to that gym atmosphere. So for me, I typically try to attack like <laughs> lifestyle factors or sleep, basic things, meditate, simple things like that. Then nutrition, and then hopefully they'll trust the process by then because they're seeing the result. Is that kind of how you go about it as well?
1: Well, here's the thing, right? And this is what this is where it becomes so difficult is the majority of people that are coming to you that are seeking fat loss, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's what I get in my practice. So the people that are coming to you, they're seeking fat loss and you have to be the asshole that basically says, well, the reason you're not losing fat is because you're not eating enough because you're doing too much, right? And yet every other, every other person under the sun, every other piece of media, every other piece of propaganda is telling them that they need to do more, that they need to go harder and that they need to eat less. So somehow you have to build enough trust and it's a very difficult process, um, so really like – and this goes back to the kind of the crux of NCI and so I, I live by the quote and I'll die by the quote, education drives compliance. And so what I try to do with my clients immediately is educate them as to, hey, clearly you came to me because you're not losing fat. Uh, can we take a look at what you've been doing? And so I'll kind of show them what they've been doing and I'll show them the subsequent stress responses from that undereating and from that overtraining. Then I try to teach them about how stress acts in the body, how the body actually – uh, holds on to body fat as more or less of a survival mechanism. And then I educate them around what the reduction of stress uh, and, and subsequent more, like increased recovery can do for them in terms of fat loss. And usually around the time that they're starting to agree or understand the education, um, that's when we actually start seeing the compliance. But, you know, whether it's whether their comfort zone is eating more or whether their comfort zone is doing less, The real job right away is just to reduce the impact of stress uh, or or reduce the quantity of stress. So I try to take it on a client by client basis. Uh, You know, a a high level executive, they're not going to be able to work less. You know, they're they're uh, compensated on how much work they can do. So what I need to get them to do is eat higher quality foods in the appropriate quantity. And that's our emphasis. But you know, an athlete that potentially is already eating decently that just needs to understand proper exercise, not inappropriate exercise, you know, maybe our first step is to take them back. So it it really, to me, it comes down to who the person is and and what you can feasibly work with them on.
0: Well, I think that's the power of individualization, right? Like I think that, and you probably get this all the time, I get so many questions sent to me, whether it's through Instagram or email or whatever um and it's just like it's always a it depends like I can't answer that for you because I do not know where you're at like like, (laughs) you know what I mean like it has to be individualized
1: oh dude I love to say I'm the king of it depends and I think that I I always joke that like if someone asks me a question they're just become they're going to become more upset with me than they're going to become a fan of me because (laughs) if you ask me a question you better be prepared for a hundred more questions like that's just the facts and so but I tell you what, and and everyone listening, I think that it's a mark of why you're an amazing coach um, and really just kind of the platform that we're trying to put out. Because it's, you know, if you go to somebody and you ask a question and they don't ask anything about your history or who you are, what you're doing, and they give you a blanket answer that they say, yeah, this is absolutely going to work, you need to run the other way really quickly because that's that's bullshit, yeah. you know? You and I both know and we've worked with enough clients in this space to understand even our first prescription for a client is never guaranteed to work right it's it's the best educated guess with the information available to us at that given time and let's be very clear not every client gives us all the information we should know yeah like that's also extremely important to understand so You know, it's anybody that throws out blanket advice like that is completely full of shit
0: and you definitely need to run the other way really quickly. I I 100% agree, man. And and this actually goes into another topic I want to talk about, which is Biofeedback, Like I've been asked that plenty of times or I've had multiple clients that are kind of confused when I ask them. um, When they send me their update form and I'm asking about their sleep, their cravings, their stress, their sleep versus like right off the bat just worrying about their macros and their weight because I need to know how they're actually functioning on a hormonal level before we even dig into that. Um, So for you, how important is biofeedback in a client's situation or programming or prescription Um, and how come?
1: Well, you know, I, so I used to talk a lot about, and I used to put this quote out into the world. And I I always ask my staff, like why we ever got away with it or why we ever got away from it. Um, But the quote is the physical follows the physiological, right? And I, I believe that with all of my heart to be true. And so to me, that's basically saying, I'll take your biofeedback measures in the absence of measures all day. And I'll still tell you that I can produce results because the body doesn't lie, you know, if we start looking at physiology, physiology in and of itself is theoretical anyway, right? So we can take Harris Benedict equation, we can take daily energy expenditure, and all of these formulas that are out there, and we can apply them to people, and we'll still see some inaccuracy. The match up with with formulas, but if we listen to an individual's physiology, or we listen to their biofeedback, so you know their hunger, their sleep, their mood, right? That's going to tell us everything that that we need to know. And it's going to create the environment where virtually anything is possible. Um, you know, do I think that you can reach uh, 110% peak performance, peak cosmetics solely on on physiology? No, I don't. Of course not. At some point, you need to track some physical data. But I would argue that 99% of people are not seeking those things. They're just trying to move forward. And then I think that everybody can move forward purely on biofeedback. So, you know, if you come to me and you're like, "Man, I'm not losing weight." I don't necessarily care about that, but if you tell me, hey, dude, like I, I was metabolically adapted, um, you, know, you gave me some more food prior to the prescription, I wasn't hungry and I, my sleep was awful, um, I didn't lose any weight this week, but I ate more food and now I'm, I'm starting to really get hungry and I'm sleeping better, I think everybody could agree those are fantastic signs that we're fixing what's going on inside and that we're creating a new platform that ultimately can facilitate success.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's a great answer. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about thyroid health. Something I've been asked on the podcast, yeah, I don't man. know how many times is thyroid health, like <laughs> what to do, how to prescribe a client with thyroid health or thyroid issues. Um, how common actually is that? Uh, it seems to be pretty common in females. Um, and I don't know if that yeah. is because just in general, their hormones are a little more sensitive to change and, and can, uh, have negative effects happen more frequently or if it's just because kind of like the anorexia thing like men just don't come out about it as much or they aren't willing to ask for help as often so it could be one of the two so i guess like what's your what's your feedback on that like how common is it um why is it so so we know
1: that the thyroid is tied we know the thyroid's tied in like with the hpa right right, and and so the problem is females have a far less resilient hpa access so when you take a female and she becomes metabolically adapted her road to recovery is almost always, I don't want to, I don't want to make an absolute and then say always, but I will say almost always going to be longer and more difficult than a male counterpart. And it's just because guys have a better hormone profile. Like it's just physiology. It's how we were born. Guys are going to be more resilient. So the problem is like when you, we talked about earlier on the podcast, the, the, the levels of HPA axis dysfunction are alarmingly high. The levels of metabolic adaptation are alarmingly high. And it's really those two things that are the driver of thyroid d- disorders. So the, the problem is this, right? Like if you would have asked me this question eight, ten years ago, I would have told you, and and this is just blunt, honest truth, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. The reason that thyroid is so common eight, ten years ago is because college girls were popping cytomel like it was candy. Right? Like it, it's a very popular drug in the bodybuilding culture. Yeah. And you know, these asshole bodybuilders are just telling their girlfriends, like, here you go, take some of my T three or my cytomel, and you'll lose all the fat you want. And and trust me, that, that works, right? That's synthetic T three. It's like a guy taking tests, like he's gonna get jacked. But the problem is it's also going to shut down endogenous production, and then females are screwed long term, it's not a resilient hormone and some girls are going to be on synthetic T3 for life. Now, I think that education has gotten better. I don't think that's happening as much, but we're seeing the same subsequent effect by females that are starving themselves, being killed by awful internet coaches, having terrible HPA axis dysfunction, and subsequent thyroid, uh, you know, reduction in thyroid output to the point to where sometimes it's non-resilient, and sometimes they need to be medicated. So and th- that's kind of the awareness as to why culture is where it is. You know, in terms of dealing with it, what you need to understand is where it came from, which is what we just explained. It comes from the HP axis dysfunction and essentially an abundance of stress. So the first thing you need to do is you need to reduce stress. You also need to understand that carbohydrates um, are what's going to boost all of your metabolic hormones, subsequently your thyroid hormones. So you really need to prioritize carbohydrate uh, consumption in the diet. Now everyone's like, oh my God, I have a slow thyroid and now I need to eat more carbs. Aren't I gonna gain some body fat? Absolutely but remember, thyroid is a hormone, right? Hormones function when your body actually has adequate body fat. So if you're trying to stay super shredded, that's, you know, your body's going to create adaptation. There's reduction in hormonal output, meaning you're not going to have any thyroid levels. So yes, you're going to have to probably eat some more carbs. Yes, you will ultimately end up in the beginning, maybe gaining some unwanted body fat. It happens. But if you have issues with your thyroid, it's something you need to be seeing your doctor or at least getting blood work on very frequently so you can monitor the trends. If it starts trending upward, you're probably resilient enough to uh, to create full recovery. If it's not trending upward, it's something you have to medicate. And, and this is the thing. Remember, you did it yourself, right? Like you're the one that, that chose to get on a really poor diet and under eat and over train and over stress. And so you just kind of got to suck it up a little bit and look in the mirror and be like, okay, I did this. I'm going to deal with the consequences and I'm going to maximize my life moving forward. And and I think, again, if you can get a client on those terms, you're bound to find success.
0: Yeah. So in, in this situation where somebody does have to be medicated, let's say, and they're taking yep. prescription for their thyroid – at what point or yep. can they ever stop taking that medication because of proper macronutrient, micronutrient, just nutrition prescription in general, exercise prescription, so on and so forth? Is there a point where they can actually wean off of it? And if so, how do you optimize that?
1: It's it's 100% relative to the individual, man. Okay. So, um, thyroids in general are non, like they're very non-resilient. Um, and so, and again, gender specific, I think a guy would have, far um, a far better chance of potentially weaning off thyroid medicine but if it took thyroid medication to give you enough thyroid output to let's call uh to create homeostasis right chances are coming off of that um while you are at homeostasis your body is really not in an environment to endogenously produce enough thyroid um, hormone so you know if you wean off the exogenous hormone and I don't really think there's going to be enough left. And I think you're going to go back to having those same symptoms. Um, you know, I used to tell clients once you're on thyroid medication, you're likely on for life. Now, that being said, there's a lot of advances from when, you know, I first got in the game 14 years ago. And, you know, back then it was either you were on like levothyroxine or Cytomel or a combination of both. You know, now there's more like armor thyroids and, uh, you know, blends of T4, T3 that are much more uh, or that are much more similar to your, your body's natural thyroid output, uh, big that those were built, um, you know, to stimulate endogenous production. And so, uh, you know, there's definitely some chance there. I always tell people this though, medication should be your last route. And I know it's, it's the, I know it's the route that is likely to uh, expedite the process of getting really lean. Um, but getting really lean in the short term is not worth it to be on medicine for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, 100%. So s- since you are in um, – you're pretty heavily into the CrossFit games obviously because you coach a lot of the uh, high-level athletes in the CrossFit games. I see right. a ton of people who who look up to them because they're shredded, not because they are performing well. <laughs> and I think it's obvious like um, Matt won and he's not shredded, right? Like, And I think people right. kind of get it confused and you have to kind of pick what, – like what is your – Actual goal, like, do you want to chase health, performance, or aesthetics? And I've heard you talk about that a lot. And I actually just wrote an article for Dr. John Russell on that same exact topic because it's so prevalent. It's like you have to pick. So, what's your advice for the people out there who are either doing CrossFit or who look up to these people who are like going through the roof with intensity and look amazing? Because, in my opinion, number one is they are training more, but they're also eating more, or they're genetic freaks. Or if you can talk about this, and I don't know if you can, they might be on drugs.
1: Well, I definitely think that a lot of them are on drugs. I I can't verify it um, because none of the athletes that I've worked with, I haven't allowed drug use in our camp. Um, And if, you know, because again, that's my name being on the line. I definitely believe there's a a large majority that are. Um, As always, though, I'll, I'll say this, and a lot of people won't believe me. I actually think more of the regionals athletes are on drugs than the games athletes. I think that the wannabes are the ones that, think that they you know they have to be taking drugs and the truth is they're just not talented enough or they don't work hard enough yeah. um you know you look at a guy like brent Pikowski i don't think that brent Pikowski is using drugs but i also you know brent posted on his instagram and brent's not the most jacked guy in the world he stayed at my house when i lived in arizona um he's not the most jacked guy ever but he eats upwards of 800 grams of carbs a day um and so people want to look at him and be like well he's super shredded yeah, but, I mean, are you out there eating 3,200 calories alone from carbohydrate in a day? Right. Um, of course you're not. And people, you know, people probably think, oh, Brent's barely eating. No, like, the dude's eating 5,000 calories a day, like, plus. Um, you know, when I worked with Travis Mayer and he was at the Games, you know, our whole goal at the Games that week was performance. And so, you know, going into the Games, we were eating 700-plus carbs a day. And when we were at the Games, we were having a bacon cheeseburger every night for dinner. Now everyone's like, oh my God, that's terrible food quality. Yes, it absolutely is. There's zero micronutrient value in there. But I can tell you our only goal when we were there is, is there enough calories internal of you to perform? And are we getting you enough calories to recover? That's all I care about, right? So this leads us into two two rabbit holes that are really deep and that we discussed at NCI. The first is what we call the triangle of awareness, right? Everyone out there has to understand their goals. So if you're using CrossFit as a modality to get shredded, you need to understand that getting shredded comes with a subset of things that you, you may not be directly speaking, but you're indirectly speaking and you have to acknowledge them. So if you're saying you want to be shredded, you're acknowledging the fact that you're absolutely going to live in a calorie deficit. And what do we know comes with a calorie deficit? We know that recovery is compromised and we know that performance will not be maximal. Like those are absolute universal truths. Assuming that you have a reasonable training age. Like you just can't get around it. Right. So if you're going into CrossFit to get shredded, don't go into CrossFit thinking you're gonna win the CrossFit games and shredded. Now, we could go down an even deeper rabbit hole and say that super high intensity training is not the way to get super shredded. That's another podcast for another day. Um but right, that's that's one point on the triangle. Now, if you're going to CrossFit to win the CrossFit games, You need to understand that the other statements you're saying is I will eat adequately to perform and to recover, and they really don't give a shit what I look like, right? Like you don't get on the top of the podium, uh, and you don't get the quarter million dollar check that Matt Frazier gets every year because he has the best abs, because he doesn't, right? Like you said, Matt's probably the least lean of everybody, of every male at the CrossFit Games, and I would agree. But Matt has destroyed the field the last two years by like record-breaking margins, and he's the least lean person there. Um, you know, I said on another podcast recently, um, you know, Brooke Wells last year. And and again, for the people that are listening to this, this is not a knock on her as a person guys. I don't know her at all. Um, she's a fantastic human being from all accounts. And I think that she's going to be a very good competitor for years to come, but she posted a picture on social media, like a week before the CrossFit Games last year. And the girl was like lean, like shredded and, everybody started screenshotting it and texting it to me like, Oh my God, dude, did you see this? And I was like, yeah, like let's see what happens performance wise. And sure enough, she tanked. Like, I think she finished like, I don't know, 16th or something. Whereas the year before she finished fourth and she was nowhere near as lean. The reality is she's just a slightly thicker girl and her set point is not super shredded. So for her to go super shredded, it's such a navigation away from set point that it's actually impairing her performance. And, and people have to understand every time you navigate away from step point, you're creating compensations internally. And it's, you know, at some point the body's going to give, so you're not going to have the output. You're not going to have the recovery. It just kind of is what it is.
0: I love it, man. That's literally like exactly what so many people needed to hear because I feel like obviously in the media and, and it's, and it's prevalent It's science, it's math, like calories in versus calories out. Right? So a calorie deficit will lead to weight loss technically. So, people know that yes. they see that, and then they see these people in the media that are in the CrossFit Games that are shredded, and they don't look into how they're eating. They don't know that this dude's eating 800 grams of carbs a day, and that's why he actually right. looks like that, right? And I mean, honestly, he's probably genetically gifted as well. Like you said, his set point is probably at a lean set anyway. But again, that's why he's in the CrossFit games, right? Like everybody in the NFL are genetic fucking freaks. And that's why they can do what they do. And we're not doing that. Um, So I love that, man. Uh, What, how do you, you know, I gotta,
1: I gotta say too, and, and it's not to directly not CrossFit, man, but you know, like the longer CrossFit goes on, they're doing a really poor job of managing that image. And they think that you know, I would love if somebody at CrossFit started portraying something that was a little more balanced. You know, I think that there, what was once a modality of exercise, I think has truly just become a sport. I think if you go to local CrossFit gyms, it's no longer a modality of exercise. It is a sport. And I think that you have to treat sport um, with fuel and recovery. And you really can't under eat for sport. You know, nobody out there in the NFL or NBA or NHL or or any pro sports federation is purposely under eating, right? They're fueling and recovering. And, and that's down to like the youth level as well. Yeah. You know, if, if you're making body composition manipulations, you're doing it in your off season, you know, like right now I'm working with a guy from the new Orleans Pelicans and he's rehabbing an injury. So yes, we are looking at uh, his body weight, but we're also doing it with the understanding that body weight decrease for him is happening at a very slow rate because I need to foster an environment of recovery. Um, and that the majority of the weight he needs to lose will be done for the 2018-2019 season. And he's on board with that because he knows it's an off-season fix. When he comes back in February, everything that he's doing is going to revolve around making sure that the Pelicans are good enough to go to the playoffs.
0: Well, and I think everything comes down to that balance, right? Like any serious athlete, and I I got to assume that the CrossFit Games athletes are the same way. Like, yes, there is going to be intense training sessions and competition and things like that. Um, but not only are they going to the extreme with recovery protocols as well, but they probably aren't training like that every single day. And, and, and people go to like CrossFit boxes and they do wads every single day and assume that that's going to get them the result when in reality, you should be doing that like once, twice, maybe three times a week. Um, depending on who you are right and then the rest of your training can be significantly lower volume lower intensity um and just focusing on weak points or mobility or basic cardio or basic bodybuilding style training right like and i think people are here's here's one
1: everybody will here's what everybody will be shocked at is there's a one of the coaches that works for me her name's amanda um she wanted to get super shredded and so i said well great you need to quit crossfit She's like, holy shit. And I was like, yeah, like you need to pull back on all the intensity. Now, she coaches CrossFit. She has a very high stress lifestyle. Um, She works a lot of hours. And so I said, basically, it's just too much stress for you to handle. Well, she's literally a month into her journey of quitting CrossFit. She is maintaining the leanest and lowest weight that she's had since starting with me two and a half years ago. Now, she's a very good CrossFitter and she's got a naturally lean set point. So she was never out of shape doing CrossFit. But she's never looked the way she's looking right now without any crossfit and it just goes to show it's an abundance of stress that most people don't have the lifestyle to recover from yeah
0: 100 percent. so speaking of balance like how do you go about balancing um macros versus micros like there's no answer of like i mean technically when we look at body composition and obviously in performance like you said he was eating bacon cheeseburgers all the time like macros are a huge component of body composition how you're going to perform because that's what creates fuel it's what creates body composition change How do you let people know, like, that you need to focus on both? Because as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of dogma, there's a lot of camps out there that it's either all paleo clean eating or you're doing IIFYM and it's just completely down a (laughs) shitty rabbit hole. And I I have to explain to people that you need to understand the importance of both. Like, how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what people have to understand is that, you know, the IIFYM people are just putting out a bad message. They're not wrong. They're just not telling, like, the whole story. And I think that's what has to be told, right? And so, um, you know, I did a video with Mind Pump, like, where we put this out. And, like, you know, the Avatar Nutrition crowd, like, they flamed me so bad. They're like, this <laughs> guy. And I'm like, I'm like, here's the reality. If if you guys actually – because all they saw was, like, the title of the video. I'm like, the title of the video was absolutely an attack on IIFYM. It was clickbait. Like, it yeah, is what it well, is. 100%. I'm not going to deny it. But it – if you listen to the video, even Lane himself commented on my post. And I was like, dude, if you listen to the video, you're not going to disagree. And he shut up. Like he didn't say a word. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not going to tell me I'm wrong because I'm not wrong about what I'm saying. I never once said that you can't get super shredded eating whatever the hell you want within your macros. That is, that is absolutely factual. There are hundreds, if not thousands of case studies, and those case studies would be natural bodybuilders right yep. they have proven that you can do that but here's the reality going to four percent body fat is not in any way a healthy endeavor in and of itself let alone doing it using highly refined foods tons of sugar right and and ultimately feeling like shit. so people again have to look at well, what are your absolute goals are you looking for health are you looking for performance are you looking for cosmetics and you have to understand how you get there most people are not myopically coming to you and I, saying I want to be super shredded and I don't care how shitty I feel and what my health is long-term, right? What they're coming to us and they're saying is I wanna look good, what they're not articulating but what is usually understood is I wanna look good with optimal health. And so I actually have that conversation with them. I actually tell them everything I just told you, I tell them that they can get super shredded, eating whatever the fuck they want, but it's going to destroy their insides. That's going to cause a host of long-term problems. As we're seeing now, all the research coming out on the gut microbiome, I really believe is going to be like the next generation of research. Uh, I was but just you know, about it's to going to that. destroy their GI. Yeah, like it's going to destroy them internally, right? And so, uh, while I might be able to get you super shredded now, eating whatever you want, I'm not setting you up for a good place long-term. And ethically, as a coach, I cannot do that. So really. The conversation we're having is I'm gonna get you as lean as I possibly can I'm gonna keep your health optimal and I really want you to feel as good as possible throughout the process are you on board with that of course it's always a resounding yes and then we move forward appropriately with more education
0: on the micros
1: that go with the macros
0: right and and I'm a big big component uh, of like the 80-20 rule 90-10 rule simply because of that and with all the stuff coming out on the gut and we're still just so unsure of how important it is really it's of my belief that it's probably best to take care of your gut from a micronutrient standpoint because down the line if you want to maintain that leanness it's probably in your best interest to, to make sure your gut's on a healthy level
1: come, completely agree or if you have any sort of other goal be it you know performance be it anything yeah um, you know I, I think it's any of your goals long term I think are going to come back to optimizing. Um, you know, gut microbiome and GI health. And so, uh, you know, if you ask Naveen Jain, like, you know, you're going to cure cancer with gut microbiome. Like he literally with, with everything in him thinks that we are going to ultimately one day prevent all forms of cancer by manipulating the gut microbiome. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not one to doubt Naveen, like he's done some crazy shit. Yeah. So, um, it, but it's going to be interesting to see, man. I think that we're living in a generation right now that is on the cutting edge of a lot of shit. I mean, guys, There was a video posted of Elon Musk like going to space the other night. No one even knew he was doing it. Like, you know, like like, here he is. Hey, guys, like check out my badass Tesla. Oh, by the way, I'm going to space tonight.
0: Like,
1: you know, like it's it's crazy. The world we live in right now, like it's badass.
0: Yeah. 100%. And like all the stuff Chris Kresser is coming out too is just astounding with with how important that is. So I 100% agree, which actually is perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is artificial sweeteners. Um, Speaking of Mind Pump, like as you know, like Sal's super, super passionate about like staying away from stuff like that. And then there's other people like Lane Norton who are claiming that you can eat whatever the fuck you want as artificial yep. as you want a million diet cokes a day and it's not going to be an issue um and then you hear people like dr Rhonda patrick who is a genius but she comes on joe rogan's podcast and she's like, talking about like your lifespan shortening uh, your telomeres from sugar and artificial sweeteners all these different things that are kind of scary for normal people to hear what is your take on artificial sweeteners and how important it is to balance that so i
1: like i genuinely believe that the research is so mixed like Everyone that has an opinion, it's literally an opinion, and it's not based on fact at all. Yeah. I have not seen any significant amount of peer reviewed research, and that's always what I try to base things on. I haven't seen a, a significant amount of peer reviewed research in one direction or the other. Now, that being said, I openly drink Splenda every day. Um, I am also one hundred percent at peace with the fact that if it shortens my lifespan by two to three years, I'm okay with that. Right. And I'm openly saying that. Um just because I believe that as of today we're all mortal beings, and I don't think that there's going to be a difference in my quality of life at like 95 or 97. I yeah. just don't. Um, I, I'm putting, I'm setting my family up for the fact that you know when I'm in my 90s that they are well supported, and re- that's just ultimately that's my legacy and that's how I want to live. You know, uh, I'm not going to be defined by my final year on earth. I'm just going to live, uh, you know, the best I possibly can while I'm alive. Um, so I think that people need to understand that. I think that if you're if you're making the choice to consume anything artificially, you're doing it with a certain degree of risk because the research isn't clear. Uh, what is clear is staying as holistic as possible um, because the research has been ongoing like, in that scope um, for eternity, right? Like we're always studying natural beings. And so I think that we can effectively uh, predict the future. Um, or, you know, not necessarily predict the future. That's a really bad term. But we can, uh, you know, we can effectively tell you what will be happening internally for months and years to come uh, if you remain as holistic as possible. So um, that's my personal take on it. I'm, I don't necessarily have a side of the fence. It's probably the one thing in nutrition that I'm just very middle ground on. Uh, that being said, you know, I I always make the statement at NCI and everyone gets a good kick out of it. Like I've never seen anybody uh, whose autopsy reads cause of death, Splenda, um, <laughs> you know, or, or cause of death, Stevia. Yeah. But that being said, like I've also never not seen the effects like directly linked to Splenda because nobody's gone down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So like we don't know. You know, I, I think that we're we're so cutting edge on research that the truth is we just don't know yet.
0: Yeah. And I think that, I mean – couple things on that. I think one, a lot of the people who seriously, seriously worry about that are also people that are not focusing on the big rocks, right? They don't even know how many calories they're consuming. They don't have a holistic approach to 80% of their diet and they're so worried about how many splendors they're having. Like that's the issue with their weight loss. Um, And then I even hear other people and I hate to like bag on Lane Norton camp because I actually do respect him and he's put out a lot of good stuff. Um, I heard an argument of his was pretty much like most diseases and uh, health ailments are actually related more likely towards uh, being overweight or obesity than they are of like the ingredients you're putting in your body. Therefore, calories are really what matter, and that's one of those things I go back and forth on. Like I'm like, okay, yes, but again, we talk about performing at an optimal level and being lean enough to well, be Well, but healthy. let's
1: like let's take a step back on that. How do you, how do you most people get overweight? They consume artificial shit. Yeah. So is it is it the weight or was it because most people don't get overweight consuming healthy foods like that's true, right? And so like I, I've never in – I've never, dude, in 14 years of doing this had somebody come to me and said I got fat on salmon and broccoli, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so like it's just – like that's just factual. So is is it their uh, like oh, being overweight or is it the artificial shit they were putting in them? And so then you see people getting healthier, reducing their weight, and some biomarkers improve. Well, of course, having less weight is going to improve biomarkers. But have we ever tested weight loss with artificial and without artificial? I don't believe there's been peer-reviewed studies done on that. And so I don't really think that what he's saying is accurate. I don't think that research truly exists. I think that it's – in theory, what he's saying has – a little bit of validity, but I think you can poke holes in that argument. And that's the beauty of nutrition. We can poke holes in everything. I think that, you know, if you're effectively giving your client everything to the best of your ability and and the best of your knowledge and you're building a foundation of something that they can create compliance to, I think you're doing your clients a service.
0: Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. And like something I always tell people too is like I, I was doing a seminar and I asked like how many people have like ran through multiple Diet Cokes, or artificial sweetened beverages and a bunch of people raised their hands. I was like how many people have ate 10 cookies in a row? A bunch of people raise their hands. I was like how many people have ate five apples in a row and nobody raised their hands? And I'm like – yeah. The reason being is because when we do stick to natural foods, like we, we're not going to continuously overeat. Like you said, salmon and broccoli, you're going to get satisfied and you're going to be done. But Oreos and chips, like there's a lot of chemical – things going on in your body that trick you into eating more and more and more and i think the same goes with artificial sweeteners right like it can trick your body into wanting more and more of either that or something worse right
1: i yeah i mean i definitely you know there you know and and this is one thing sal and i talked about was you know a lot of when you look at high highly refined foods they're designed to um, you know, elicit a response in your opioid receptors. Um, and so, if you start thinking about that, like, that's pretty fucking scary, man. Like, you're, you're getting a response in your brain to, like, what some high powered drugs can also give you. Um, and, and, you know, and then you start talking about addiction and food addiction, and, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, like, this isn't, this is potentially a real thing.
0: Like, yeah. things
1: that people aren't even acknowledging, but it's definitely happening in our society.
0: Well, and it's crazy because they actually hire people to make this happen. Like there's, Absolutely. there's people who are purposely creating taste in foods that are going to create addictions for people, which is fucked up, but it's, it's just unbelievable where it's going.
1: Yep. So. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a scary world we live in man. Mm-hmm. and this is why, you know, if, if you can stick to natural, you know, no one's out there, uh, with the ability to necessarily modify those things. So yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, I think that's why you're always best to do that. So,
0: um, cool, man. I know we're running short on time, so I have a couple more quick questions for you and then we're going to yeah, wrap man. this no up. No worries, dude. So my, my, one of my last questions for you is, I actually saw you post this in the, uh, inner circle on Facebook and I'm curious cause I never actually, I gave yeah. my opinion and I never saw your answer. What are your predictions for 2018 for not only nutrition, but training as well? Like what do you think is going to be the next big thing? Oh,
1: Man, like this is a rabbit hole. So, I think sometimes, and, and I freely admit this, I think sometimes I get my desires confused with actual predictions, right? <laughs> so, I think that my desire is for there to be more awareness around intensity modulation. And unfortunately, I don't think that our society is ready to hear it yet. So, I don't think that you're really going to see 2018 on the training side get any smarter. Um, I think that, uh, like, I don't really think you're going to see a lot change, to be honest. I think that. I think things tend to trickle down. So I think at the highest level you're seeing uh, education become more proper. I love the term inappropriate exercise. I'm not sure where I heard it first, but you're going to see less higher level people doing inappropriate exercise. And I think that we're probably a good two, three years away from that trickling down to the public. Um, So I I just think that it depends on where you live in the exercise setting. Uh, Nutritionally speaking, I think, uh, and and this is interesting because I had a conversation with Mike Matthews on this. I told Mike that I think that keto – is finally going to uh, go away for its decade because it, it seems to, uh, you know, it kind of goes cyclically for about uh, every eight to ten years. So I think keto is on its way out. Um, and then he had me actually go to Google Trends and showed me that it's trending upwards right now. Um, just because it's trending a lot on Google, in my opinion, doesn't mean that uh, it's prevalent and its uh, implementation is going to remain. So I still wholeheartedly believe that keto is on its way out i think people are realizing that it definitely has its applications but you know even like you mentioned the inner circle you know guys like andy galpin who's extremely intelligent are out there and he's saying things like guys just because everyone thinks keto is going to cure cancer there's some cancers that thrive in a fat environment um so let's let's not get myopic in our statements uh, i think keto's on its way out i think that food quality um Almost makes a comeback. I'm not sure it ever left in like the mainstream, but I think it becomes even more important. I think the gut microbiome and GI health. Uh, so guys like Chris Presser, guys like Naveen Jain, really create more prominence this year. Um, with that being said, I think that trickles into the supplement industry. I think that you start to see in the supplement industry everything is going to start to become fortified uh, with omegas because there's a lot of talk about inflammation. So. Um, obviously, having a better environment, you know, Western culture is currently twenty to one, omega six to omega three. Uh, so everything is going to start having added omega threes to it, like you'll have fucking, I don't know, omega three bubble gum. And, uh, and and then and then I think that uh, and I'm borrowing this from Sal because he brought up a really good point when I spoke with him. Um, everything will have probiotics as well uh, on that gut health thing. But those are those are really my trends. Um, I you know one of the ones that you brought up in the inner circle, and I think you're absolutely right about is. The importance of individualization, Um, I think that that awareness is becoming at an all-time high. I'm actually hedging on it uh, because I'm opening a facility here in D.C. and I will not do anything that is not personalized. So anybody that is training at my gym, um, there won't be groups or anything like that. People that will come in, they will have to go through a one-on-one assessment with one of the coaches that sits in our gym and they'll get a customized program. Now, They can go through that in a group of people. Um, that are also doing their customized programs so that they still have that like group atmosphere, uh, but they'll be doing shit that's actually making them better as an individual, not some group templated bullshit. Because everybody that follows me knows I hate the word template with all of my being. Yeah.
0: No, and I, dude, I can't wait to come visit that place because it's going to be dope. But, that's a big that's thing for me sick. too because I mean I started in a facility that was strictly based on individual uh, individualized programming. Obviously we had group classes and stuff but even at that level there were so many progressions and regressions for each person. So I've been huge on that and I do think that's going to continue to grow because there was a huge timeline of just meal plans and just shitty programs going out. And When magazines were really popular, everybody was just opening it up and doing them from the flex magazines which I did growing up too. Um, So I do yep. think that's going to continue to grow and, and that's like the biggest thing with keto, man, is like it, it's just – if you can individually adhere to it, it's great. But there's just not that many people who can actually adhere to that. I think in the disease setting, it can be very beneficial um, but other than that, I think it's just an issue. Like I've had multiple people come to me who are claiming to do keto but felt like shit and when I checked their macros, they were eating forty grams of fat a day and eight hundred calories. And I was like, "You, you just removed your carbs. You're not doing anything keto." I doubled their or calories. Or you've got
1: the people that are like, "I'm," or you got people that are like, "Oh, I'm doing keto," and they're having like three hundred grams of protein, which yeah. is not keto, it right? Like to that's glucose. high protein, <laughs> and that's it, man. Like at yeah. the highest level, it converts to glucose and it takes you out of nutritional ketosis. So. Yeah which again, like that's a whole nother conversation. but yeah, it's yeah, it's people are starting, I think, to understand. and you know, the I love it because I think that it's getting all of the bullshit internet trainers out. Um it's getting the people that aren't genuinely invested in uh, creating a positive environment. It's getting them out of the space. And yeah, anyone that follows me knows that I'm so massively driven by, ensuring that in 20 to 30 years from now that the world is living in an environment of what I call optimization versus repair. Uh, and I think that, you know, you mentioned, and we've talked at, at nauseum on this podcast about people coming to us with thyroid disorders, metabolic adaptation, HPA access dysfunction. You know, we, we really like, we live in a world of repair right now. And I think that if in 20 to 30 years, if we're doing our job properly today, um, that the people that are nutrition coaches and that are trainers, they're living in a world of optimization because of the foundation that we've set. And, and that's really powerful, man. And I think anybody that's not aligned with those goals, man, they can hit the bricks because they're not, they're not really adding value to this world. And unfortunately this is all a value add.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that just goes to show like, and I, I learned this when I met you in Vegas and we started hanging out more It's just like, creating impact and just giving more is like something you live by. It's something I live by. And, and I think that every coach who actually does this to give more and to create more impact in people's lives, they are the people that are going to last all throughout the year, all throughout the years to come. And those are the people that are going to thrive and the people who are just putting out bullshit templates and just done for you meal plans are going to slowly just fade away. Completely
1: agree, man. Completely agree. And, and I think that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a great shift. To start to see happening, like yeah. I'm, I'm really massively excited about it because it's what the world needs, man. You know, it, it, we see so many broken individuals coming our way right now because of such poor education. Uh, you know, now if, if we can be the the facilitators of change, that's awesome, man, and that really gets me excited.
0: Yeah, me too. So, um, I got one more personality question for you. Um, something I like to throw at the end. That's one. Yep. So. You're on a plane and you're flying to Japan, so you got a long-ass flight ahead of you. You're sitting in the middle seat and you have two empty seats next to you. You can put anybody <laughs> in those seats, dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. Who's sitting next to you on this trip?
1: Oh, man. Uh, one of them is my wife because – there's just nobody I want to be around and anyone that knows me knows I'm hands down the simplest human being on the face of this earth. Um, and so just being next to my wife instantly brings me back to like my center and I love her with all of my being. Um, and and so, and that might sound like cliche and, and stupid to some people, but uh, I'm a very lucky man and, and my family means the world to me. Uh, the other one at this point uh, would probably be Tom Um uh, And so, a lot of people probably expect me to say Gary Vaynerchuk. The reason I wouldn't say Gary V is because if you follow any of my shit, you know, I like to sleep on the plane. Um, (laughs) Don't ever sleep in real life. And Gary V would be going like a mile a minute. And so like, I would never get the sleep I probably need. But, um, and, and I think that when I'm awake, Tom would just, I'd have just the best conversation with him. Um, And, you know, I think he, he's, he uses Gary V Vayner media for so I think I would learn a lot tactically speaking and, just seems like a cool dude uh fortunately i actually am hanging out with him in january but um yeah i mean that's who comes to mind now you know i I obviously that's that's off the top of my head i'm sure i could probably come up with uh, a million answers man there's a lot of people in this world that i want to get to know and um you know that i've been fortunate enough to get to know but that's it for me right now
0: dude i love it great answer so um, Before we sign off, is there anything you want to shout out as far as like where to find you, where to find uh, your certificates, anything like that? I'm going to plug everything in the description. So now's your chance to let the trainers, let the listeners, everybody know where you're at.
1: Yeah, man. So I'm all about building the next generation, as I said a couple times. And so the big thing that we have going on right now is, you know, the Nutritional Coaching Institute. You've been through the L1. Uh, you know, my goal is just to build the next army of nutrition coaches. And so that website is ncicertifications.com um you know feel free to check that out um, obviously you know the one thing that i'm big on is you know no matter how much growth we experience and uh i always want to stay grounded and i always want to connect with every single person that wants to connect with me so on social media it's just jason phillips on facebook uh my instagram is jason phillips underscore in three You know, I say it at the conclusion of every podcast I go on, send me a DM, send me a private message, uh, you know, send me an email, whatever it might be. I promise you with everything in me, I will get back to you. Um, You know, it may not be the same day, but I will absolutely 100% get back to you. I will do my best to help you, answer you, do whatever I can to possibly move you forward. Uh, I think Cody will actually uh, you know, corroborate that. I think that's how he and I actually started talking um but i will you know with everything in me, man i want to see each and every one of you listening to this crush your goals and if i can in any way facilitate the forward movement of that i'm humbled to do so
0: i would highly recommend everybody take advantage of that because he is not bullshitting um like he said i kept reaching out until i was sitting at dinner with him and now he's mentoring me and on top of that i've already been to nci cert and i'm going to be going through all of them this year so there's something i highly recommend for anybody trying to grow as a coach in general so um thank you once again bro i appreciate you jumping on the podcast it's always awesome talking to you and i know they got a lot of information
1: dude uh it is absolutely my pleasure and you know i want to i want to flip the script a little bit and just say everyone that's listening Dude, watch out 2018 for big things from Cody because the impact this guy's about to have is unbelievable, man. Like I'm so happy to, to be in your camp, and I'm so happy to just to see what you're doing, man. I'm always I'm always blown away by what you're putting in the world. So thank you, like for for what you're doing
0: and for having me on. Dude, that means the world, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Real quick, I just want to thank you all for listening. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. If you are a new listener and you are not yet subscribed, please click that subscribe button so you can be up to date with everything that I am putting out on a weekly basis. For anybody who has not yet left a rating and review, please do so now. I would appreciate it more than I can explain. It allows me to continue to grow this show, get more and better individuals to interview, and obviously just give you more free content so you can continue to learn and you can continue to get better results. If you're already subscribed and you haven't left a rating or review, what you can do is actually go to the search button and search the Boom Boom Performance podcast. I don't know why, but for some reason on iTunes you have to live- Literally search my podcast again even if you're already subscribed in order to leave a rating and review so if you can leave a five-star rating and review I would love and appreciate you for it, and if you, anybody listening to this right now is not yet in the Boom Boom Team page, please go to the link in the show notes. You can join my private Facebook group where you can get more access and accountability from me personally, where I can actually help critique your exercises, your nutrition plan, and just answer your questions on this specific podcast and in the uh, forum personally. So it's a great opportunity to join a community of like-minded individuals. Once again, The link to the Boom Boom Team page is in the description.